0: Just tell us your experience briefly of Mark in a Month. Hello, everyone. Uh, My name is Asha. So uh, Mark in a Month helped me to know how good, how kind, how compassionate Jesus is. And it helped me to walk in freedom. So I feel like I'm walking in freedom. Yeah. That's it. All right. And how was the Daily Bible exercise for you? Uh, Hi, everyone. I'm Adrian. It was great. I remember one thing that stuck out to me in Second Mark 13 to 22 was when uh, a man came up to be healed by Jesus. And where did I put it down here? Anyway, It said uh, the guy was asking if, if Jesus was willing to heal him, and Jesus was indignant to that. And it, it showed me that even if we're ashamed and we come to God and we're you know we're like okay if if you're willing to help me out god's always willing and it's it's not something that we need to you know ask permission to be helped it's something that god is always there to do uh yeah i found the the format helpful in terms of staying engaged with with what i'm reading in you know making sure i'm yeah pick, yeah finding something out of it and then it being a a quick enough process that i actually do it every day so it's been, it's been appreciated that way. Hi, everyone. Um, I've really enjoyed the process this week, and simple step-by-step. And, and it's helped me, especially I'm in the mornings, and in the mornings my mind likes to go, Bleh. you know, it's away with the fairies. But then having the process has been so good just to center the thoughts and to direct how I've been reading. So it's been really helpful and powerful. So it's been good. Thank you. You can just put it back on there. Today, then, we're going to do part two. And I just want to say, if you missed part one, or you want a refresher or a recap, then I've put a website, bibl.ca. There's no E at the end, bibl.ca slash read. And that will work on your phones. That has got the video and all the notes from last week. And uh, today's is going to go up there by the end of the day. Today's video and the notes for today will go up there by the end of the day. So, bibl.ca slash read will contain everything. So, this is what you get if you go there. Um, You'll get a reading mark in a month and uh, you'll get all of the... Video, all of the notes, everything will be there if you go to that place. So, uh, today, my, my goal today is to engage you with the message of Mark, the whole message of Mark, the big message. So, as you read it, the message will engage you in return. And we are going to do three things today. We are going to say who wrote Mark and why. And then we're going to look at the shape of Mark, how it all fits together. And that's going to be the main core of what we're looking at now, because I think this is going to be really helpful as you're reading through to see how what you're reading fits into the big thing. And then we're going to end by looking at a passage we've read, that we read last week, Mark 2, 13 through 22. And I'll show you what I got as I read that passage. <laughs> so who wrote Mark and why? Can anybody guess who wrote it? Mark did, yes. (laughs) So, actually, that's not quite right. Mark Wright might have actually written it down, but do you know who most people think actually talked to Mark and told him what to write down? Because Mark wasn't there. Mark wasn't one of the disciples. Mark is describing eyewitness accounts, but he wasn't there. So do you know uh, who most scholars think it was? Peter, that's right, Peter. So, uh, so um, John Mark wrote it on behalf of Peter. That is what the, the general thought is. And there's widespread evidence uh, in early church writings, as this was the case. We call that external evidence. But also, if you look at the internal evidence, in other words, you look at it and say, does this is this the kind of thing that, that Mark would have written Peter would have written, and yeah, actually, because um, he doesn't omit any things that reflect badly on himself, and plays down some things that look good on himself, and he, like he's very, very honest in it, and it's all the things that he would have seen being there. Now, that's the who question. The next question is where and why, and it's usually thought that it was written in Rome for Gentiles. Uh, There are are some good reasons for this and this would have been before Paul got there because Paul arrived and there was a church there already and he wrote the book of Romans to the church that was there already. So this would have been early on. Why do we think that it was written to Gentiles? Well, it doesn't assume you know the Old Testament. It's so different to Matthew who's quoting all the time. This was said in this verse. Mark doesn't assume you know that. So Mark is much more of a uh, it's, it's gentile friendly. Um, also, uh, it's it's really short. It's fast paced. It's it's there. It, it's a it's a a good evangelistic book for the Romans. And one of the things that it does is um, it highlights issues like positive things for Romans. When there were Roman centurions there, they are, are spoken of in a positive way. Like this, and there are, there are Jesus going to the Gentile, various things, make it clear that this is not Jesus' ministry. Even then, was not Jews only. And also, it's written, the first words are, this is the beginning of the good news. And so it's assumed that this is how it starts, but there's more coming, and there's 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 lots more. So um, it's thought then that this was a Gentile-focused letter, and it's, it gives that aspect of it, and written in Rome to the Gentiles by Peter. And uh, so, that if we're going to look at um, a, an overview of the book, the, the uh, ESV Study Bible's got a really good summary, and I'm going to just read this through because I think it's good. Uh, It's a call to discipleship, following a person, not simply a code of conduct. It's about fellowship with Jesus at its very heart. Mark is about trusting him, about confessing him to others, about taking note of his conduct, following his teaching, being shaped by a relationship with him. And I think that that being prepared to face rejection is also part of this. So as you're reading through it and you're looking at how do I reflect on this passage, then you're probably seeing some of these things coming through calling to you as response to the passage. So that is my answer to the question briefly, who wrote Mark and why? And now I'd like to move on to looking at the big story. And the key to understanding The book of Mark, I believe, is to notice the way he uses stories to mark the start and end of each section. He uses connecting stories. Each part starts with a section, which has got a particular theme, and ends with something that matches. Now, I'm just going to briefly uh, share with you, this is your outline, your reading plan. And I've marked these the plan here uh, with the letter um, A, B, C, D, E. And if we have session A, we start with John the Baptist, ends with John the Baptist dying. Uh, so we can look through at, at section B. Starts with feeding 5,000, ends with feeding 4,000. There's a matching story In each one, I'll come back to the the detail in a minute. But it's really neat to see how the five sections all begin and end with a matching story. And that story tends to set the theme for that section. So Mark uh, and and Peter, writing with him, is uh, very good at using story to bring this message across. Um, Another advantage of of noticing this theme is that we can see how, in our passage, how it relates to the theme as a whole. So that's each section. Now the most remarkable part of the way Mark as a whole is structured is that the big reveal, the big explosive news is not at the end but it's in the middle. And the big news, as we'll see, is who Jesus is. That's revealed in the middle. And uh, that uh, that, is, that revelation is Mark ten forty five. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, I, he came to die and he explains it. And he came to rise again. And so that there is in the middle. And so I'm just going to give you now a snapshot of the of the big thing, and then we're going to go through in detail. So here are the sections, and this is I'm building it builds up from the I've got the start at the bottom there. The kingdom is launched in power. And then B, we have greater miracles, challenging teaching. And then C, we have the big revelation, who Jesus is. This is the critical thing. Then D is we have replacing the temple. This would, we we'll come to this in a minute, this would be interesting for the Romans uh, in Rome. And E, this man is the son of God. And the final story is pulling it all together. So it starts with a bang, expands to greater level, the real Jesus, and then uh, the kingdom extends beyond Israel because Jesus replaces the temple. And then a statement, this man is the son of God which is made by a Gentile. It's the it's centurion who says that. Uh, you know, a Roman makes that statement. Really cool. Um, so let's, um, let's look at the first section then. The first section begins right at the beginning with John the Baptist, doesn't it? And it ends with John the Baptist dying. It's, it's beautifully bracketed together. I've called it the kingdom launched in power. It begins with John the Baptist and the first followers Then kingdom power and conflict, kingdom teaching, parable of the sower, the lamp, the mystery of growth, the mustard seed, four miracles, uh, culminates with raising the dead, and then the followers sent out and John dies. And so this is, I call this the kingdom launch with power. All of these notes are going to be up by the end of the day on on bibble.ca slash read. Um, So this is then... The, the kingdom launched, and John is there to start with, but by the end of it, it's just Jesus. Um, so it's it's uh, moving then into the second one. Two remarkable and almost identical miracles match the beginning and the end. He feeds 5,000 at the beginning, and then uh, he... He walks on water, declares all food clean, heals in a Gentile city, dramatic healing of a deaf man, and then feeds four thousand. But his disciples still do not understand. Now, what's interesting about this is that uh, he's doing Moses-type miracles. Like they they commented on this, Moses gave us manna from heaven, but Jesus, you know, Jesus feeds him with bread. And, um, but he is redefining the teaching of Moses in this section, challenging teaching. Rede- he's, he's doing Moses miracles, about redefining Moses and then goes to a Gentile city. Like, Hey, what's happening here? Really stretching, um, the, the mindset of these people that he's reaching to. And so at this point, They don't understand. The disciples have got a blindness, and the big question is, who is Jesus? And that is setting us up for the middle section where all will be revealed. And so the middle section then, uh, this this is the second section, the middle section then. Blindness to seeing. There are two stories, only two times in Mark, that Jesus heals a blind person. And they mark out the beginning and the end of this book. And the whole section is about spiritual blindness. It goes into it with the disciples still don't get it. And it goes in, the blind man receives his sight. Peter sees that Jesus is the Messiah. The disciples see Jesus' glory, sell everything and follow Jesus Jesus reveals three times he's going to die and rise again but the disciples don't get it. Blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. And so this is this is about do you see or do you not? And this is the revelation, the challenging revelation about blindness to seeing. And as I said it's the middle section but it's actually it's the big it's the one with the the, the clearest Revelation of who Jesus is, if you're willing to get it. So there we have it. Um, and each section building on the previous one. Uh, then, the, as we move forward then, the end of Jesus' life begins to come into view. And as he walks into the temple, he's, he sees a fig tree with no fruit. And this is like a theme that goes through the idea of Israel doesn't have any fruit. He tells the parable of the vineyard that doesn't have fruit, which represents Israel. And then Jesus is the new cornerstone. There are two attempts to trap Jesus with words. He responds and then points out some good fruit that's happening. And then he says, the temple is going to be destroyed. And I am the temple, uh, he says. And he'll return one day. So stay alert. And so... Here then we have this idea um, that this physical temple is going. And this, of course, would be encouraging to the Gentiles living in Rome because they don't have to travel to Jerusalem to worship God because Jesus is the one who replaces the temple. And uh, his, his people are going to bring forth true fruit. And so there's, um, uh, and there's a strong uh, unity to this. Uh, with Jesus ending it by saying, "The owner of the house will return." He doesn't just say, "I return." The owner of the house, in other words, the temple, the people of God, who, of course, we know that we are the temple. Um, so, so uh, there are then moving into there we go the last section. We have a climax of the of the um, the book in terms of clarity. Uh, but we have it bracketed by by Jesus being anointed. So a woman comes to anoint Jesus, the last supper and betrayal, a prayer and betrayal in Gethsemane, Jesus is tried and Peter denies him, Jesus is tried by Pilate, Jesus is crucified, and a centurion believes. So Peter's denied him, uh, The Pilate, uh, uh, the, the Jewish leaders, have been against him, but this centurion believes. And then women come to anoint Jesus, but he's already been raised from the dead. And uh, so it's just beautifully uh, using story to tell, to paint the picture of Jesus, using these stories that beautifully fit together. And the statement then that it ends with um, is actually like a question Challenge: Who are you? Are you going to believe? Like, centurion believes, Peter doesn't. Like, where are you in this? And I think that the hanging question at the end of Mark is: What? What are you going? How are you going to respond to this Jesus? What do you think of this Jesus? Are you going to be like these Jewish Jews? Jews? Are you going to be like the centurion? And so, uh, to sum it up, then it's like a picture painted in stories. Beautifully painted with this purpose of deeply challenging us. Okay, so let's see what I did with Mark chapter 2 and verses 13 to 22. All right, seven steps. What's the first thing? pray. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words of life. We thank you for these words that we see Jesus and we can hear him and we can know him better. Thank you, God. Help us right now as we read this passage to hear your voice speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin with prayer. Uh read through today's passage prayerfully, asking God to help you understand as you read. you should always follow a plan of reading that takes you right through a book, starting each day where you left off the previous day. Never plan to read too much or there won't be time for meditation. 10 to 15 verses is usually ideal, depending on the kind of book. In the epistles, it may be less because there's so much content, but in narratives such as the Old Testament or the Gospels, it may be more. Try and find natural breaks in the book and stick to these and then write, uh, take out a notebook and write a title, the date, a passage, and a title at the top. So I'm going to just leave that and go back to our passage now. Um, so let's look then at uh, this, these verses. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Then passing by he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes, who were Pharisees, saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. They asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Somebody asked me earlier, who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the one of the religious groups at that time, but they were the ones who were in charge, mostly of the synagogues and the places of worship. Uh, they were generally people with a bit more education. Scribes meant that they had enough education to to write, and those who were fa- scribes and Pharisees were these gr- this group of people who uh, believed in meticulous observation of the law. Just scrupulous, and they felt that they could manipulate God by keeping the law well enough, and then God had to defeat the Romans because they kept the law so precisely. And so they actually attached their, their survival as a nation to their ability to keep the law so meticulously. That was the Pharisees, and they were the dominant religious leaders of the time, and they were the ones controlling... the the teaching of the Bible, of the Old Testament, to the people. So the fact that they they got it completely wrong was devastating for the people because the people didn't hear, most people didn't read, and they would hear the message through the Pharisees. So these Pharisees then, one of the things they were disgusted with was Jesus eating with these tax collectors and sinners. Uh, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples For there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? A sinner is a general term for those who are breaking, they believe were breaking God's commands. When Jesus heard this, he told them, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. sinners, Now, John's disciples and Pharisees were fasting. People came and asked him, Why do John's disciples and Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and they will fast on that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new patch pulls away from the old cloth, and a worse tear is made and No one puts new wine into old wine skins, otherwise the wine will burst at the skins, and the wine is put into fresh wine skins so those last two verses are things they would be familiar with. Um, most of us probably don't spend a lot of time patching clothing but uh, so but but uh, I'm told that, um, that taking a, an old piece of cloth, um, which isn't very strong, maybe, and putting some new cloth on it, which hasn't shrunk yet and it's strong, is going to cause tension and it will tear around the edges. And you'll soon, you, you, you shouldn't do that. Uh, am I right? Yep, okay. So, um, so they would all know that. The, the bit about the wine skin is a bit more obvious because wine ferments. And if you put it in a, in a skin that's not very strong, it's just going to burst it. The bubbling is going to burst it. And, um, so, so that's the, um, that's the message there. So what can we give as a title for this? Anyone suggest a title? It's several things, isn't it? So my title for this was. Jesus turns our thinking upside down. All right, cuz I thought well the thinking he's turned it he's turning the thinking with um the tax collectors and sinners he's reversing things and he's reversing things with the um the wine skins and the, um, the cloth, cause he's giving, he says, well, I've got new wine now, which is, which is rever- reverse, or it's different to what you had before. So this imagery then, um, of he's ch- changing our thinking, turning it upside down. Um, so then my point, my first point was, Jesus called Levi, the tax collector, to follow him, and he did. Now, being a tax collector, um, the problem with it is that they had the power to abuse it and collect whatever they liked, and so tax collectors generally were not nice people. They were uh, they were stealing from their own countrymen uh, by collecting taxes, and so um, it's not that they were um, Jesus was condoning what they did, but he was saying, um, "I'm going to love them anyway, even though they are so broken." So. Jesus called Levi, the tax collector, to follow him, and he did. Jesus was at Levi's house eating with many tax collectors and sinners. And in those days, to eat with people would be to, um, to express the fact that you are, you know, you're friends with them. It wasn't just like eating in a restaurant. The Pharisees complained, and Jesus said, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners. I quoted that bit in full. Usually I don't like to quote it in my notes because, you know, the whole point is to be brief. But it felt to me that that was so critical in, in like, not just this section, but all of what Mark is doing, I just had to write this down. And I also felt it spoke to me as well, because, you know, I'm not, I've, I've got brokenness in me. And this was just such a powerful verse for me. I wrote it down. It's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And this is part of my idea of like turning upside down, Jesus is doing. The next one I had people ask Jesus why his disciples didn't fast like John's. I wrote, When the bridegroom leaves, they'll fast, but now is a time of joy. And then my last one, new wine must go into new wineskins. So those are my those are my points there. Uh, the context really um, that the, the context is just is this is Jesus' teaching that's continuing. Uh, This teaching puts into context the two amazing healings from just before. So I looked back at the previous passage, saw some extraordinary healings. Okay, Jesus has come for those who need him. These are the kind of people Jesus has come for, and I thought that was helpful to see how these related together. Then the message that I think this passage is teaching, I wrote down, be prepared for a radical shake-up of your thinking by Jesus. If you think you already have it all together, then you will miss it. So this is what I felt the passage was saying. This is like, be prepared to be turned upside down by Jesus. So what am I going to do? How am I going to respond to this? Well, if I'm going to be honest, I have to apply this message to myself, don't I? Because we all think, well... I was once I had problems, but now I have it all together. Now I understand everything. You know, once I really didn't understand about God, but now I do. And my my challenge here to myself, um, Holy Spirit, show me where my own thinking needs changing, and I need a new wineskin. This is how I felt it was speaking to me. And I felt that I just needed to ask the spirit because like I can't work this out myself by definition, because You know, I'm the one who needs to see, and I need him to give me life. So this is how my reading on that day worked. So I said there's no wrong answers. Well, that's not quite right, because if it doesn't have I or me in it, it's wrong. (laughs) In this last section, you've got to have the word I or the word me in this last section. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to close now. And I'm going to pray out of this last uh, section we have now. And um, what I'd like to say, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you don't know Jesus, then this message is the perfect one for you. Because uh, Jesus' teaching, and and Mark is the perfect place to be finding it, Jesus' teaching is calling you to, to... See your own brokenness and to come to Jesus, who's here to fix brokenness. And if you don't see your own brokenness, you don't think you need Him. And that was the problem. In Mark, some people didn't think they needed him, but the ones who did think that they needed him, those were the ones that came to Jesus and he healed them. So if you're not a Christian, then just ask him to show you your own brokenness and come to him for healing. But for and for the rest of us who are Christians, I'm going to pray this prayer over us right now that all of us will have this experience of Jesus. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing teaching that we have and we thank you for jesus coming and explaining these words of life lord give us an insight where we are blind lord we are not we don't have it all together we have brokenness in our lives jesus you came to heal the sick and the broken come and heal our own broken places we pray today and lord most of all we pray that where we are We think we get it and we don't. Show us where we need to change our thinking, Lord. Show us where we need to come into alignment with your thinking. And we pray, Lord, give us a new wineskin to take what you have for us so that we can be true followers of you. Thank you so much for this revelation in this wonderful book. Bless us this coming week as we read it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.